Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Julia. Uh, So today, we are going to tackle something that is already becoming a part of of many of our lives, uh, and is going to continue to be a big part of our lives in the months to come. And that is transitioning our uh, academic conferences and meetings from being physical and in-person to online as as everything else in our lives is these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were inspired to do this because I just finished um, an online conference uh, called SIPS, the Society for the Improvement of Psychological Science. And many of the conferences um, that we typically go to uh, in during during the academic year have now started to announce their plans to be fully virtual. Mm-hmm. So we figured, um, given that I had uh, just just did SIPS, uh, we could we could talk about what worked well at SIPS for virtual conferences, how we feel about differences, pros and cons between virtual conferences and um, and regular in person conferences, um, <clears throat> and and maybe even suggestions for virtual conference organizers. Yeah. And this is, you know, selfishly, uh, so I have not been to a virtual conference yet, but I'm, uh, I will be, and I'm interested. So I, this is like, I get to pick Julia's brain and you get to listen. Um, so I, uh, I helped do, do some of the organization for SIPs. I'm on the programming committee. Um, and so I got a, a little bit of a, you know, inside perspective on what pivoting online quickly with very little notice uh looks like you know we we had planned we had planned a lovely in-person sips and scheduled everything and who's going to be in which room at what time and all of that um and then had to quickly shift everything and you know move over to online um so so it's great i feel like now i uh i know how to do it both ways <laughs> well so what was i mean i, I think part of uh, part of what we'll be seeing is that a lot of the conferences um uh, this year, you know, we're already planned to not be online. And so all of the online transition stuff happened with a lot of planning, I'm guessing. And so mm-hmm. the way that online conferences look now might be different in a year if people have more time to prepare and, and kind of get to try out some of the different options. But I mean, what was the biggest, what was the biggest challenge do you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, of all the different moving parts to it. Yeah. So, so I think, um, well, the, the biggest challenge, I think, specifically this year is just that we uh, was was the time course, right? Like we mm-hmm. suddenly had to change everything uh, with with relatively little um, with relatively little time to prepare. And so, given more time to prepare, there might be things you know that we would do differently. Um, so traditionally, con- academic conferences are you know maybe a couple three days, uh, sometimes over a weekend, sometimes during the week. But you know, frankly, if you were going to start an online conference from scratch that wasn't based on a previous model or didn't have to be, you know, within those constraints, maybe that's not the best way to do it, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. you do mornings every day for a week or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like there, there are a lot of like uh, uh, things that are kind of structural about conferences because of the fact that they're in person. But mm-hmm. this is this is actually given sufficient lead time, um, you know, an opportunity to to rethink that. Is that is that really is that really the best way to do it? Like timing of sessions, if you're all in the same physical location, then then you're going to do it between certain hours of the day. But if you're spread out mm. over the world, you know, I mean, there's sort of, you know, pros and cons. There's benefits and um, challenges to that, I think. Yeah. So SIPS was scheduled to be in uh, stunningly beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, um, and uh, which is in the you know, Pacific time zone of, you know, the U.S., mm-hmm. um, West Coast time. And so when we realized we were going to have to go to virtual, we had to make this decision about like, are we going to do it 
like what time zone do we do it in? West Coast time is is fine for most of um for most of Amer- for most of the US um and the Americas, but it's pretty difficult for Europe, it's really difficult for Asia, Australia, you know, mm-hmm. like um but there's no time zone that does work well for everywhere. Right. Um and so given limited time, we just said we're going to stick with BC time zone mm-hmm. um and you know give the session organizers some flexibility in when they're having their sessions to try and not make it at two in the morning for them um but we did have a lot of people you know who are like zooming into sessions being like all right i'm gonna do my best but you know it's midnight here so we'll uh-huh. see how things go uh-huh. um some other conferences that that i have heard about as i was you know doing research for this um do things like uh do a conference around the world so on the first day, they're in London time. And on the second day, they're in Chicago time. And in the mm-hmm. third day, they're in Tokyo time, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is, you know, logistically a little more complicated to deal with. But it means that it's in your time zone at least one of the days. Right, right. Um, so so time, time zones are one of the things that was also tricky to, tricky to figure out how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think worked really well for SIPs um, I mean, that the virtual format worked really well for SIPS is that um, SIPS is different from from regular conferences um, in, in a bunch of ways. The, the big one is that um, regular regular academic conferences are kind of variations on people getting together to say, here's my science. Isn't it pretty? Look what I did. Right. And kind of like describe research that's already done and show it to other people. Also get feedback on it and, and hear what others are doing. But the, the presentation component of it is um, typically tends to be like, here is this thing that I did. Let me tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but SIPs is uh, people getting together to work on projects at the conference or, or teach each other how to do things. Um, the the first year that I went to SIPs um, in one of the like opening sessions, uh, one of the organizers said a thing that I just love and has always stuck with me, which is that the organization is not called the Society for Talking About the Improvement of Psychological Science. It mm-hmm. is the Association for Improving Psychological Science. Um, and so in the, so, so the sessions are not these kind of like one-sided, let me tell you what I did, but instead they're like people working on projects. Um, so just as a, as a couple of examples, um, there's a, a, a really interesting session on retrospective open science, uh, by a researcher called Boaz Oztail. Um, and he, uh, uh so there, there's this, like, there's a general shift toward people being more willing to share data and materials for new projects, right? I'm going to publish a paper and along with the paper, I will uh, uh, put my code and data and my materials in a repository online so that other people can access them. Um, And there are incentives for people to do that for for new work. Um, But all of us have a lot of data that we're just sitting on from old projects, right? So if I have a paper from eight years ago uh, and I still have the data and I still have the materials, um, but there's not really any incentive for me to share those at this point, mm-hmm. right? Like it's going to take time. I got to go dig through it, you know, unless somebody asks for it. It's kind of a hassle to do that. Um, and so this session was getting people together uh, to talk about how we can incentivize people uh, sharing their their old data, sharing their old code. Um, so a bunch of people got together in this in this hackathon and started brainstorming how to get people to be willing and interested in doing that, right? Like having more data and materials available is beneficial for doing meta-analyses. It's beneficial for replication attempts. Um, but how do we get people to do it? Um, so, you know, could we could we publish 
addendums to articles that are, you know, the the addition of code and materials. Mm -hmm. We have like contests where it's like, you know, if you uh, uh, upload your old code, get entered in a, you know, I don't know, like what, what are, what are the ways that we could incentivize people to do this? And what are the obstacles? Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't people doing this? How can, how can we overcome those things? Mm -hmm. And so they ended the session with, you know, ways of contacting uh, editors of journals um, to, to try and uh, implement some of the initiatives that they discussed. So this is really different from like, let me tell you about this experiment I did, right? It's like mm-hmm. people working on projects um, together. One of the other sessions that I was in that was just awesome was about, um, uh, it was called Modernizing Measurement Instruction. Uh, and it, it's, it's the idea that if we, um, as psychologists, a lot of the constructs that we are interested in studying defy direct observation, right? I can't just like stick a depression ometer in you and see if you're depressed or not, right? We have to like Mm -hmm. measure that in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so understanding how we measure things is really important for understanding all of the constructs that we're interested in. Um, But uh, there is uh, many psych curricula do not have courses devoted to measurement. And Many measurement courses um, rely on methods that aren't recommended anymore based on kind of the, the, the um, that are that are outdated. Mm-hmm. So in this awesome hackathon, a whole bunch of people who are interested in measurement got together, brainstormed what they think the most important topics for teaching a graduate course on measurement are, what they think the most important readings are, and then other like resources, demonstrations, examples. Uh, um, uh, assignments. Um, and in three hours, uh, we put together this amazing, freely available, accessible to anyone syllabus for, you know, that is like a state of the art research informed, how do you teach measurement syllabus? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think that kind of thing works really well in a virtual format because it's a bunch of people working collaboratively on a Google doc, mm-hmm. using zoom, going to breakout rooms, you know, actually like working on a, on a project. So you don't get the same kind of like boredom and zoom fatigue that you would just like listening to somebody talk about their research. Talk for an hour. Yeah. 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 Well, that's true. So, um, a couple of thoughts, just, uh, uh, the zoom fatigue is a real thing, uh, to talk about new words in our lexicon. Um, but I, you know, I, I, uh, I have lots of zoom meetings some days, just back to back to back. And I find it, uh, I mean, regular in-person meetings back to back are are exhausting, but there is something harder about about being stuck to my computer for that long. And so I think, yeah, a conference that is just all me watching people talk for eight hours a day, uh, you know, that does not sound appealing to me. Um, so yeah, I think if, I, if I'm going to do format, that, I want it to be like Battlestar Galactica. Right, <laughs> right. There's other things I can sit and watch. I can can binge watch a few shows instead. Right. Um, uh, and that, oh, so that I have a question though. So I, I really like the model. I mean, I think um, you know, there's another tangent here that that we can come back to at some point, which is just like that idea of like producing things at conferences, which I think is a really cool, a really cool thing. But I'm just wondering if if I were starting my own conference, um, you know, the the Society for the Improvement of Juices and Squeezes or something, uh, and I wanted to do one of those sessions. <laughs> Please be a part about peel and strand. I yes, just, we know, can, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, how like 
you know, for the first time, like, how would I go about doing that? Like, I can imagine as a participant how that could work well. But I also feel like if I was going to try to organize that, like, you know, okay, everyone works on the same Google Doc and you do breakout rooms. But, like, it, it feels like there's probably a format that people have tried before. Um, are there resources out there, do you think, that kind of help support that kind of session? Or, or, or do you think whoever was in charge just kind of makes it up every time? Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure people are, you know, building on, building on what, what others have done. So the, um, the kind of like working together on solving problems and, you know, doing things model, <laughs> yeah. um, is often referred to as a hackathon. That's what it's called at SIPS. Um, and if you Google like how to run a hackathon or virtual hackathons or stuff, you know, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of people who have had lots of ideas of how to, of how to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of nice too, that. We were going into this after having um, uh, most of us been been teaching online uh, for several months because we also got some experience about knowing like what works for small group collaborative work in classes, mm-hmm. right? And how to like how to facilitate those right. things. And so that that helped too. Mm-hmm. I think. Do you think that because one of the things that I um, also wanted to ask about is uh, I mean, so at a traditional conference, let's forget forget the working model. Um, that you just talked about, even though that's very cool, but even at a more traditional conference, um, as we've talked about, one of the benefits is learning about people's stuff and sharing your own work. Um, but another benefit is just like bumping into people, um, either on purpose, like I, Oh, Julia's there. I got to go talk to her or, or by accident, like in in line to get coffee or, or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, what was your experience of that kind of social aspect of it? Yeah. Right. So this is like, for me, the biggest part about conferences is not the here is my research, isn't it pretty stuff. It's it's exactly that, like getting to talk to people and bounce ideas off people, you know, in sessions, even if you like are at a poster session and go up to somebody and hear about their poster and it reminds you of something and then you want to pick their brain about it, right? But that's those like those spontaneous parts of conferences, I think, are what are what are the most fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um actually I once heard somebody describe SIPs as if you take a conference and then you take away all the like content delivery sessions. And it's just a conference built around those like casual side conversations, but you know, with, with a bit more structure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that is, that is really hard to simulate online. Um, the, the way that we tried to do some of that um, at SIPS was uh, so we had, a, we had an all conference Slack channel, um, which uh, included, for instance, a channel that was just devoted to um, like introductions and hellos, you know, so I could say like, hi, I'm Julia. I'm interested in measurement and speech. And I'm happy to talk to people about what it's like to teach at a small liberal arts college mm-hmm. or dot, dot, dot. Um, and that was intended to like kind of reduce the barrier to communication, right? Like it is much harder to cold email somebody, mm-hmm. even if you're at the same conference than it is to send them a direct message on Slack after they have said, hi, I'm so-and-so, this is what I'm interested in right. talking about. Please come talk to me because I'm a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, and I, um, you know, tried to like uh, reinforce that too. When I saw people who were posting in the introductions who had some common interest with me, I would just send them a message and say, hey, I see we're both interested in blah, blah, blah. If you're interested in talking to me, I'd be happy to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a nice way to do it. I'd like to see the big conferences, um, the big like kind of content conferences this year uh, adopt that because I think it, it really does help make it easier for people to reach out and, and connect with one another. 
Well, even if you had an in-person conference, I mean, uh, anyway, you, these are some of these things that would be easily added, right? Like it'd be easy mm-hmm. to have a, a Slack workspace for any conference mm-hmm. and kind of do that for people who wanted to, to connect that way. I think that would be a, a great idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's also nice because, you know, if you're like in a poster session and you end up having a short conversation with someone uh, and you forget their last name and you don't remember what institution they're from or something, like it doesn't, if, if you don't have something like that, it doesn't really help you to be like, oh, I met this guy named Chad and we had a good talk, but who was he? But if you have a Slack space that is just limited to the people who are at the conference, be like, ooh, who are the Chads here? Right. Oh, yeah, it was that guy. There's a picture. I'm going to get in touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's that's particularly nice for trying to kind of break down hierarchies that are, I think, pretty inevitable at traditional academic conferences, right? Where there's like the fellows of the society who get the awards and give the keynotes and, you know heaven forbid, a lowly graduate student should be able to go up and talk to one of them. Right. Um, but really, there's a lot of awesome transfer of skills and ideas that can happen in both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making it easier for people to talk to other people, um, I think is, you know, really, really has the potential to improve the conference experience. Mm-hmm. So, so, so things like Slack are nice for that. Did you have a sense, uh, um, of like what percentage of people used that Slack workspace or like how, like how many people introduced themselves? Was it, you know, yeah, 10 so or 20 or lots of people? It's, it's hard to, okay. So we had, um, uh, there were like 1100 people who registered for the conference. Um, but the thing that is tricky about online conferences is if you have 1100 people register, uh, it's free. So there's like no reason not to register if you're at, at all remotely interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a regular conference and you have 1,100 people, it's probably safe to assume that, I don't know, at least 800 people will be in any given session, right? Mm-hmm. Like some people are skipping, but most people go to a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but with online stuff, it might be that somebody just comes for one session, right? And if right. you're not like right. carefully tracking where everybody is, it's hard to know like concurrent, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. how many people are, are like actively participating in all of right, that. Right, right, right. Um, we had, let me see, I can check this out. There were 425 people who were um, on the Slack channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a sense of how many like were actively using it and actively posting and, and those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, that's still um, a, pretty good, a pretty good number. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so... Uh, it also might be the kind of thing, you know, this is like the first time that we do it. And as mm-hmm. people get more comfortable with all the tech and all of that, they, they you know, might, might do it more. Um, but I think having something like Slack is, a, is at least a nice way of making it a little more um, interactive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just like watching a series of, of, of videos online that it's, it's more like a, a real-time experience. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we did um, to try to help facilitate that was we had... Um, a virtual social event. Uh, and when I hear the words virtual, virtual social event, I just like roll my eyes. So I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. we were just in a zoom call all day. Now we're going to be in another zoom call. Um, but we used this awesome, awesome platform. I am so glad to get to like, uh, give a, do some buzz marketing for this. Cause I like it so much. Um, so it's a service that is called, uh, online town online.town. We'll do a link to it. Um, the, this, the, the one that we used. So online town was like the original. It is now called gather. That is like the kind of more premium higher end one. 
But it's like this. Uh, you see on your screen um, a virtual space, like a park or a beach or a conference center or an apartment. And you have a little avatar that you can customize and make different, you know, colors and hair and whatever. And you move your avatar around in the virtual space. Um, but it also has like Zoom-like video calling. So you like see my face and hear my voice. And as you move around in the visual, the virtual space, if you get close to another person, you're able to hear their voice and see their face. But as you move farther apart, their mic gets turned down and their the, vis, the, the video blurs and then disappears. Mm-hmm. So you can move around in this space. And when you get close to people, you can talk to them. And then when you go away, you stop hearing. Them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have these kind of like fluid, flexible conversations with different people without having to be like, now I am in a breakout room. Right. Ooh, now I am. You back, can like right? wander so, over to a group and wander away if, if you, exactly. if you need to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and it's like, it's like super fun. Cause you're like, your little avatars running yeah. around and uh-huh. you know, like, and there's some kind of like Easter eggs hidden around the room. So, you know, if you go to a certain place, you can hear a certain thing or something. That mm-hmm. it's, so, it's, so it's fun to explore. Um, and it was super fun. And so that was a nice opportunity to, to, to have, um, you know, like, just like you would in real life, casually walk up to people and say, oh, we were in the same session on whatever. What did you think of blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, in a way that is even lower stakes than I'm sending you a direct message on Slack yeah. or something like that. Well, and you can also, um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a better name for lurking. Uh, but you could also wander over to a group and see what they're talking about and not mm-hmm. say anything and just listen mm-hmm. in. Right. And yeah. so j- just like at a real conference, you sometimes wander over to a group and, and, and then stay or wander away and you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to, um, go shake everyone's hand that's or fist bump or whatever we do now. Um, you know, and sort <laughs> of like make your presence known and you can just like hang out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was also a, a trivia night where, you know, people could get together. There was another way of like, I don't know, having social connection and plus mm-hmm. trivia is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were nice ways to try to build in some of that casual and spontaneous and not directly related to conference content times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so, so there, there are some real benefits to doing conferences virtually, right? Like, I talked to lots and lots of people who said, I've always wanted to go to SIPs, but I haven't been able to afford it or the time doesn't work or, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, and so having it be fully virtual means many more people can attend, right? This was like three times as big as SIPs Mm -hmm. um, previously, two times as big, yeah. Um, uh, It's it's cheaper for attendees. Uh, It has a very low carbon footprint. You know, it's more egalitarian there's a, a lower lower barrier to entry mm-hmm. um and so all of those things are awesome um but you you know but 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 it's not even with all of those things that we tried to do to you know build in the social connections and lower the barriers to communication and all of those things it's still not quite the same as mm-hmm. just being able to walk up to people well i was going to say surely there must be at least one one downside uh yeah what do you, so what do you think was the biggest thing that was missing? Was it the social, social aspect or? Yeah. Um, I definitely like met, I mean, I met, I met plenty of new people and, you know, had great conversations, but I definitely met fewer new people than I have in previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, you know, because there's that time. So those of you who have listened to listen to our last episode that was about in-person conferences um, uh, know that you know that my strategy for conferencing is to be aggressively friendly. And so even Sorry, in those times I mean, where you're- The narrator is going to interrupt. That's episode six, juiceandsqueeze.net <laughs> slash six. Uh, and so, you know, those times when you're like waiting for a cup of coffee or something and chatting with the person in front of you or behind you are good opportunities to make a connection with somebody and make a new friend. Um, and it, there's just, you keep, it's, 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 it's harder to do that virtually. Mm-hmm. The other, the other real downside for me um, is that conferences are usually uh, like a three day opportunity for me to do nothing but think about work and like catch up with friends and meet new friends. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing it at home, I was simultaneously trying to do all that conference stuff and chase after my children and cook meals right. and, you know, right. like do all of the living at home stuff too. Um, and so it was, it was pretty, it was, kind of stressful and jarring to be like, okay, now I'm in a session. I'm trying to come up with good ideas for this measurement hackathon. Oh, but you know, mm-hmm. two year olds up from her nap. Now I got to go deal with that. Um, and so, so it is, uh, it is a, it's much less of an immersive. It was much less of like an immersive experience mm-hmm. that, you know, Well, I thought, you know, that is one of the, um, in the past, that's been a big benefit of conferences for me is just being able to think about, I think about science for, for a few days or whatever. Um, and a, a lot of times I'll end up um, when I'm not trying to, to channel Julia and be aggressively friendly. Um, I'll like go off by myself and like spend two hours writing a paper because I never yeah. get time to do that. And so it, you know, it gives me a freedom to do what I'm, what I, what I want to work on. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, doing that, you know, from home, I mean, even from the, from, from quote unquote, the office, um, would be tricky, but also from home would be even trickier because there's just, there's stuff going on. You're, you know, my attention would be divided. Um, but so one of the things which you, you mentioned briefly, but I just wanted to just kind of pick up on is, um, so because we have, you know, very young twins, I was not planning on doing any conferences this year. Um, just because traveling is, is just too hard right now, but, with virtual conferences, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I, I would have gone to, to X, Y, and Z if I had known they were going to be virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and now kind of looking ahead to the year, I, I had been sort of, you know, given up on thinking about conferences. But now I'm like, oh, I could I could submit to this or that or, or the other. And so, you know, there's a couple of ways to think about it. One is like, well, you know, what's better, a virtual conference or an in-person one? Uh, and there might be pros and cons, but but for me, it's sort of like, well, would you rather do nothing or uh-huh. or a virtual conference? And of course, I would rather do a virtual conference, even if I can only go to some of the sessions, or even if the you know some of the stuff that they try to do online doesn't work perfectly or whatever. Like, I would still rather try to try to connect. So so I'm pretty excited actually, and that also just highlights you know lots of people have reasons for for not traveling to conferences, whether it's um, you know, lowering carbon footprint or family or not having the funds or, you know, being very, very far away. So I think it's a really good chance for all kind of societies and conferences to increase accessibility and also hopefully diversity, right? Like many societies say we want to be worldwide and international, but it turns out that some high percent of the members are from, you know, the, the U S and Western Europe or something like that. And Uh it's, it's Uh challenging to, to break out of that, um, I think for a lot of groups, so I think this is hopefully one way that that makes it makes it easier to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, and, and what I hope 
um, what I hope to see too is that people look for ways to try to embrace um, the potential of of what virtual conferences can offer rather than just taking the conferences that we have all done for years and, you know, squeeze them into a virtual format. Right. Right. And I think, you know, especially this year, because of the lack of planning time, (laughs) it seems like that's, you know, hard to avoid, at least for many, for many conferences, but, but moving forward, it would be really interesting to see what people do. And it might be, um, there might be a really a wide variety of solutions to this or, or, or yeah. approaches, and then we can kind of try it out and see what works. Right. Just like with regular conferences, there are some that I like the format better and some that you like the format better. And I, I mm-hmm. imagine the same will be true um, for online stuff too. Would, yeah. Do you have, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, um, do you have any thoughts about that? Like if you were going to design a conference from scratch, like what would the, what would outside the box thinking be? Um, so, so one of the things, so one of the things that is like great about conferences is meeting people with mutual interests and getting to bounce ideas off of them. Um, and so I, I I have long thought that it would be fun to do something at conferences. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of a better name. Okay. You know, speed dating where you like, uh where you I've never actually done this, but you know, you're in a big room and everybody just rotates through and talks to each other for mm-hmm. five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like every, every given interaction is like uh, low stakes because it's short and there's no expectation that there's necessarily going to be any more conversation after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to have, you know, a, a, a crowd of 30 people who study speech perception or audiovisual integration or some of the things that I'm interested in and just say, oh, I would love to have five minutes to talk to each of these different people. And if it's a nice conversation, maybe we'll follow it up. Right. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so some kind of structured way um, of having those kinds of casual conversations with people who share interests Mm -hmm. because at conferences, you know, I'm pretty comfortable going up to somebody and saying, Hey, I read your paper on this and I thought it was cool. What do you think about this? But having those kinds of having those conversations takes some like forward planning and thought. Mm-hmm. And if somebody just comes up to you and says, hi, want to talk about speech? Like that's weird. Right. Um, un- unless there's like, you know, some kind of scheduled way of doing that. Yeah. Um, and so I think it'd be really fun to have like, um, you know, some kind of work. Don't want to call it speed dating. I want to call it speed speedy science talks speed speed networking but we can't use the word networking either Uh, right speed speed talking rapid fire friend making yeah (laughs) rapid Rapid fire fire friend friend making making is what i like to call it yeah um uh you know and that's kind of thing that you could easily do digitally yeah and i like that because um i thought about that well i thought about doing the in-person yeah version of that before too as a way to, yeah, yeah, because uh, um a lot of there are a lot of requests at various conferences for like more junior people often request more kind of mentoring type things and more yeah. chances to meet senior people and it is awkward um and, and some people find it more awkward than you do julia to go up to to so and so famous yeah, person right. and just introduce yourself and say hi um and so it's nice to have some kind of structure where you sort of force that to happen in a way that doesn't put the burden on 
any particular person, right? Like if mm-hmm. you signed up for this event, your game, and then and then you can talk. And the other thing I like about that too is um, a lot of the um, and the discussions that I've been in, a lot of the focus around these things is on kind of mentoring, which mm-hmm. is great and that's very important. But like, I want to meet people too. There, I would like to meet people at my career stage and older career stages, in mm-hmm. addition to younger career stages. So I think thinking about it, like we are going to pair uh, an old, an old person like Jonathan with a, you know, with a young person like so-and-so and and they will mentor, um, you know, is maybe less good than just give lots of opportunities for people to chat with all different people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it could also be, um, uh, you know, if part of it is for, is for mentoring too, to say like, Hey, I'm going to have drop it hours. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants advice about what it's like to go from a postdoc at a research one institution to teaching at a small liberal arts college. Want to mm-hmm. come talk about that? Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, Hey, I'm a cognitive psychologist. And I want to talk about open science. Who else does? Right. Yeah. And, and that kind of stuff, you know, that's, that's just as easy to do digitally, virtually as, as in person. Yeah, I agree. What, what about like, um, and this kind of gets back to the time zone thing, which not to get, <laughs> people are going to love this episode talking about time zones, um, but, but like asynchronous things, or how do you, how do you deal with people who are coming from, from different parts of the world? Or as, as, as we just talked about, if you have responsibilities at home um, uh, in your non-conference life, you know, which, which many of us do, you can't, I, there's a hackathon at 3 PM, but that's the one time I can't do yeah. like, you know, how, what, how do I get around that? Um yeah, I mean, I think this is this is like one of the price you pay. One of the prices you pay for having things that are more accessible and cheaper is that unless everyone commits that from eight to five on these three days I'm free, the way that we do for regular conferences, you just can't have stuff that's accessible to everybody all the time. Um, so one one other like potential idea is that if you're going to have um, one of the things that you know we've been kind of brainstorming for SIPs. Um, if we have some online components um, in future years is, you know, you could do something like have, um, I mean, and this works for regular conferences too. Like you may have some recorded sessions or something at one time, but then have uh, uh, other opportunities for people to talk about it online together at another time, right? So you can have like, watch the talk at some point when it works for you and then come together and have a conversation about it or do Q and a or something at another mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even do if it was like a traditional kind of conference and I'm going to give a talk about my research. Um, you could ask people to pre-record the talks, you know, to and submit them by like two weeks before the conference. Um, and then uh, people could submit questions and you could write answers or uh, uh, you know, at the actual like session time, then you're like on a Zoom call where you're answering the questions that people have submitted um, about the talk that you gave that people have already watched. So, mm-hmm. you know, the talk and the Q&A are separate in time, but it means that even if people aren't available for the Q&A, they could still watch the talk, submit an answer, watch the recorded Q&A later uh, and still have have access to it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that all can work. Um, and then I guess I was also thinking about sort of the non- the non-talk com- non-talk components um, mm-hmm. also seem like that would that's almost easier too because you can have like 
like like you say, oh, there's a room for cognitive scientists who are interested in open science. It's like a room you hang out in. And so you can Mm -hmm. kind of come whenever you, if it's always open, instead Mm -hmm. of just between eight and five, you come and drop in. And it could be that most of the people in there are, it's going to be a little time zone specific, but Mm -hmm. some people are night owls and some people will be like, ooh, I'd love to hang out with people from a different time zone. I, you know, I, I'm going to get up at two in the morning and do it. And mm-hmm. sure that the expectation isn't that you have to do it, but, but you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so something like that also seems possible. Uh, and even for some of the hackathons, you could imagine like two teams based, you know, that would kind of have different start times or, you know, a living document that, that, okay, update this over the next day and then we'll come mm-hmm. back and talk about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it, in a way it might make, it might be difficult to have like continuous programming being equally, equally live for everyone but i yeah, think finding yeah. ways to include people um and you know i think is probably easier than that so so maybe we can we'll see some more of that too yeah yeah i think what's so so for the the conferences especially those that were online this spring and had like hardly any time to prepare um i think everyone i mean and with sips too i think like everyone is pretty forgiving mm-hmm. at the fact that this is all super thrown together um, I thought SIPs went very, very well, um, both because it actually went very, very well, but also because I think all of us were expecting something to go terribly wrong, uh-huh. right? For like, for it to, you know, because when, given that we had not done an online conference before and had a very short window of time to prepare while all of the organizers were also scrambling to figure out how to teach online and have kids out of daycare and all of that stuff, um, you know, that, that. Uh, when expectations are low, it's easier to meet them. But also, I think SIPs went really well, even above and beyond that. Yeah. But yeah, but but yeah, setting appropriate expectations is, is helpful, yeah. probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how you know as people get more savvy about these things, how um, how both expectations and the consequences, the products change. Mm-hmm. Um, there there have been a few things. So, like this spring, um. APS, uh, Association for Psychological Science, uh, their conference was was went virtual. Um, and I like a lot of what APS has done with their conference. Um, and I recognize that having to do this very last minute is incredibly hard and people have already submitted. And so, you know, there are many changes that you can do. Um, but, but I, so, so one of the things that they had was a, a virtual poster showcase, mm-hmm. which is basically just a uh, you know, you go onto the program and you click on people's names and you see a academic poster that they prepared um, that, you know, are like traditional conference posters. And these are accessible like all summer. It's like June to September or something. Mm-hmm. Like up. Um, and, and that um, felt to me like taking existing conference content and just and, you know, jamming it into a new virtual format. Right. Um, in a way that like the, the whole point of posters is that you're having a conversation with someone and it's interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, a lot of posters are hard to like, they're not meant to be viewed alone. So a lot of the information that you even need to understand them mm-hmm. isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I don't, I don't want to be too hard on APS cause I recognize that like they had no time to do this and people had already submitted posters and what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but that seems like the kind of thing where, you know, if, if nothing else, asking people to like record for, for future years, for future conferences, um, asking people to like record a short pitch that you can view along with the poster mm. or having something where you can post questions and then the, um, the presenter gets notified and can answer the questions. 
um, it, it would be nice to see future conferences who have more lead time and more, you know, ab- ability to like integrate more tech into it um, could still have those things be somewhat interactive. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to see, what I really want to see is something like this online town gather platform that I'm so mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Um, where you can like walk around a virtual poster, For a poster session. session. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you get up close to somebody and then click a link and look at their poster and then they talk to you about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you walk away from them and go on to the next thing. And well, that would be, that would be really nice. Well, that, that actually test- seems pretty, I mean, uh, what, what do I know? But that seems like mm-hmm. pretty doable because you just need to like arrange the, the space in an ordered way. So you'd know where to go. Yep. Right. And then it, you know, yeah. Anyway, hopefully we'll see something like that soon. Yeah, yeah. So what what other um, conferences are you going to this year, if any? Yeah, so I'll definitely go to um, Psychonomics, which is in November and was going to be in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, I'll definitely, yeah, I'll definitely do that. Probably APS in the spring. Um, I might do, I might do something with um, Acoustical Society this year, too. I don't typically go to that because I I try to only do like two conferences a year. Um, just because it's a, like, you know, it's a big yeah. ask of family mm-hmm. and being away mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but yeah, but I might do more this year given that it's not. Yeah. Well, actually, so I'm, uh, I was, well, prior to all this, I was probably not going to go to psychonomics, but I haven't been in forever and mm-hmm. I would like to go. And so this is, that was the one that I was thinking, aha, I can go now. So we can, we can hang out. We can have a, um, <laughs> we'll have a juice and squeeze room or something, <laughs> the juice and squeeze uh, Slack and channel. Also, you should know that when they announced that they were going virtual, they extended the submission deadline to July 15th. Yes. So yes. I know. I have to submit something now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I get to, I have the opportunity to mm-hmm, submit mm-hmm. something, which is great. Um, and then I think I'll be, uh, I'm planning on doing the society for the neurobiology of language, which is in October. Um, and I don't know, uh, I, I think they were, you know, they didn't have much, even though it's not October yet, I think they're still a little bit under the gun to plan that. So I'm curious to see how that ends up, but, but fingers crossed for that too. Uh, and they also extended the abstract submission deadline. So I think, I think, you know, at least I have those two to, to try out. So anyway, we can revisit this issue after I have some more under my belt and we can, you know, kind of see what works and what doesn't. And I'll definitely do SIPs online next year. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's funny. We had, um, when we were planning SIPs, we had talked um, in the in the pre-COVID days, um, we had talked about whether we should do some online content for exactly the reasons that we talked about. And we said, oh, you know, we'll have like one remote session and see how it goes. Um, but, uh, but there was all this like, you know, b- before before we suddenly had to do um, everything online, uh, doing stuff online seemed impossible, right? It was like, Oh, mm-hmm. we don't know how to do that. How can we possibly have remote content? And the tech is going to be so complicated. Um, and then now that we've all been forced to figure it out now, it's like, Oh yeah, well, we can do this. This yep. is just a, this is just a thing we could do, you know, more mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so it'll be, so yeah, I think, you know, uh, many conferences, even if they are fully in, uh, even if they have in-person components in the future, we might well expect them to have online, you know, versions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which I, and that's, I think that's a great idea. I mean, yes, I think it would be, it would be sad if we never had another in-person conference. I would be very sad about that. Um, but I think having, you know, a hybrid kind of version where you can have online people too, you know, keeps a lot of the accessibility benefits um, 
and hopefully gets more people to show up, which is usually a good thing for conferences. Um, but then, you know, you just kind of overlay it on top of stuff. And then if you have to cancel the in-person part, you're also all set up to do the online part already. So I think mm-hmm. there's like a double benefit there. All right. Well, uh, listeners, we hope to see you, if not uh, in the flesh, very soon in virtual settings. Um, Thank you to the people who have been emailing lately. We love getting your emails um, and would uh, be happy to have even more of them. We've gotten some great suggestions recently about um, future episodes and things that we might address uh, on on upcoming shows. So please keep those coming. Let us know what you'd like to hear about. Uh, Our email address is thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com. You can also leave suggestions on our website, juiceandsqueeze.net. There's a little contact form that you can fill out. Um, And if you prefer to ask questions or or, uh, tell us things anonymously, you can can fill out um, that online form anonymously. Make up an interesting name. (laughs) You don't have to, but I I invite you to make up an interesting name. Um, The other thing I should just say, actually, Julia doesn't know this either, but we might have to take a week off depending on how things go. So I've got a bunch of grants due and also travel. So we will try to be regular podcasters over the summer. But if we miss a week, um, I apologize in advance. Okay. Okay. That was really convincing. Oh, no, sorry. I was, you know what I was trying to remember? I was trying to remember about, um, uh, do you remember the episode that we did about sharpening your saw? Yeah, Like how it's important to take time off and, you know, mm-hmm. join the revolution and all of that. Yep. I was trying to think of the phrase sharpen your saw. So I'd be okay. like, yes, Jonathan. Well, I hope while you were taking those yeah. days off, okay. you were sharpening your saw. Thanks. Okay. And you'd be like, fine. We'll take a week off. <laughs> I know. You're such a, you're, you're, you're so, um, you're not going to let me get away with anything, are you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll we'll talk to you next time. Be back soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.